Hello and welcome to the AMBOSS podcast, Beyond the Textbook. Every two weeks, experts from AMBOSS, the medical education platform, interview medical students and healthcare professionals to showcase international perspectives on everything in medical school and beyond the textbook. Hello and welcome to the AMBOSS podcast, Beyond the Textbook. We're your hosts, Dr. Tanner Schrank and Sophie Neal. And today we'll be continuing with our mini-series, Leading Women in Healthcare. We'll finish up part two of our interview with our guest, the inspiring Dr. Sarah Fitzgibbon, general practitioner and founder of the Women in Medicine in Ireland Network. Sarah, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Sarah, you have been a strong voice in medical advocacy and fundraising. Could you perhaps share some of your most fulfilling experiences or success stories in these areas? When I was sick in the first year, I suppose, even though I was doing well all along, there was no doubt in my mind that death and dying was never far from my thoughts. And obviously, there was lots of things that was very irritating about the thought that I might die. I had very young children and my family that I loved. But there was the thought of everybody having a party about me, without me, when I died. So I thought, that's the last thing that I want. So the first thing I did was I organized what I called a doctor's disco. So it was a fundraising event for the organizations that had helped me. So I had received all my treatment in a public hospital and again with the public and private healthcare in Ireland. This could be a little bit of a conflict situation, but I had been in a public hospital. I had received loads of support from charities, from different organizations who are there to help people going through cancer. And so I wanted, as many people with cancer do, to give something back. But I wanted it to be fun and I wanted to be there. And when you're older, you don't get the opportunity to go nightclubbing. You know, it's, it's a bit unusual to see older people in the nightclubs that we used to go to. So I decided I would arrange it all for myself exactly the way I wanted to. So I got a DJ and got all my friends and it was fantastic. It was kind of like a class reunion. A lot of my doctor friends came and we had a great night. And so that first one was just after I'd had my liver resection done. So I was not that long out of having my stitches out, but that didn't stop me. And I actually went on to organize two more of those because they were such good fun. So that was fundraising. But really, there was, you know, most of the time, these are supposed to have an altruistic reason behind them. But actually, it was quite a selfish reason because I just wanted to organize a night out and have lots of fun with my friends in an environment that was entirely of my own making. So I was both proud of the fact that I did it. But I always think it's very important when you're doing some kind of charity or fundraising event, make sure it's plenty of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so cool that you could combine both, right? You could get something out of it that you loved. But you could also raise money and awareness and, you know, fundraise at the same time. That's pretty exactly. cool. Amazing. And the Women in Medicine in Ireland network has been a major part of your life since its inception, right? Can you share some of the achievements of the network that you're most proud of? We've had five conferences now since the first one in 2018, but I still think probably the first one I was most proud of because I really didn't know what I was doing. And we were able to have that in a fancy hotel in Dublin and we had some fantastic speakers. And what I love is that we have had a number of women who have attended each one of the conferences since then. So I really like that we have built up this community that we would never have met each other before. These are women from all over Ireland that I didn't know. And now I really would count them amongst my good friends. The other thing I suppose that I'm very proud of is our, our Sunday Women initiative. So this is hashtag Sunday Women, which uh, I do every Sunday. And again, coming back to when I first saw that Medical Women's Federation tweet back in 2017, they were doing an advent calendar where for each day in December, they were showing a different female doctor, you know, from history or from currently that had, you know, some great achievements or just highlighting 
their uh, experiences and their professional achievements. What we know is that women tend not to get statues built or streets named after them or hospitals named after them as much as men do. And it's really important to try and bring names to the fore and bring recognition for those women. So every Sunday we recognize a different female doctor or medical student who's Irish or has Irish connections, is working or studying in Ireland and just highlight the achievements. But they don't have to be medical achievements. So we have had a number of Olympians, so Olympic athletes. We've had mountain climbers. There's something in Ireland called the Rose of Tralee, which for some people might consider it a beauty pageant, but it's sort of a a celebration of womanhood. We'll call it that. So we've had a couple of Roses of Tralee. We've had authors, writers, people who were doctors and moved to something else. And it's just been a real broad range. And what we find is that every Sunday when we put up, so we put up a biography and a photo of this person with their permission on our social media streams. And we always get such lovely comments back, either from people who knew them or from people who say, well, that isn't that a fantastic story to hear that about how that person achieved. What I always say is that somebody, so I ask lots of people all the time, would they consider nominating themselves to be a Sunday Women? We've only had one self-nomination so far. And this, again, is potentially a gender-related issue. That's less likely to happen for men than for women, that they wouldn't put themselves forward. And what we find is that people say, well, I haven't done anything. I'm too ordinary. And every time I get somebody who is too ordinary in their mind to send me in a biography, I find out that they're actually a world-class flute player or that they're able to do the splits in their 60s or all of these incredible things. Because doctors are high achievers. And actually, if you ask anybody who's a medical student or a doctor, the chances of them not having you know, 400 other strings to their bow is actually really small. So yeah. I, I really love doing that. It's, it's a weekly thing. And it is just that opportunity to recognize all of these fantastic women. And I haven't run out yet. We've had 260 or so women and uh, there's no sign of running out. So if anybody is listening and they uh, know somebody, particularly themselves, with, who's Irish or has an Irish connection, and would like to participate in Sunday Women, I'd be delighted to hear from them. Oh, wow. Amazing. What a wonderful initiative. And that must just feel, as I said, so good every Sunday, this kind of feel-good vibe to really recognise somebody for their achievements. That's really, really cool. So now, looking at intersectionality and considering the different dimensions of gender, class, ethnicity within the medical field, there are multiple overlapping biases and ways students and doctors are disadvantaged, right? One could argue that the Women in Medicine in Ireland network is focused only on one group. How would you address this critique and how does the Women Network work against all kinds of discrimination in medicine? From the outset, it's been really important to me personally, that intersectional outlook. And we have, again, been really fortunate in our conferences so far and in our contributors so far that we have always tried to look at that broader experience of people who are prone to discrimination, who have experienced discrimination, or who we know are less likely to be privileged within medicine, which is a privileged situation. But we do know that all of these extra additional factors are going to be causing barriers, creating discrimination for people. So it has always been very important to me to look at making sure that we're inclusive of all people, of addressing issues that are relevant for other minority groups. Again, we would know of that, you know, layering of discrimination that can happen for, you know, women of colour in medicine, women experiencing any kind of disability. 
We try as much as we can within our organization to ensure accessibility. We would be very conscious at all times of being aware that people might find it difficult to participate in the organization. So our membership fees are very low or often waived. And we would try and ensure that our you know, conferences would be always available hybrid so that people don't need to travel or have to travel. And we've, again, ha- had some very great support from doctors who work with autistic doctors, doctors who are from minority religious groups in Ireland, which can be a, you know, a challenge. And it is extremely important that at all times that we raise each other up. And we would know this, that there really is no benefit from supporting one group over another. It is equity of all kinds that matters to me personally, and and that would be the ethos of the organization. Definitely. That's a really brilliant answer. Yeah, good point. What do you believe are the most urgently needed changes in the healthcare field? So again, coming back to, to equity again, you know, and certainly in Ireland, we need to ensure that there is equal access to healthcare for all. And I've mentioned it a couple of times already, the fact that we have a dual system of public yeah. and private healthcare. And that causes so much division in experience for people in terms of waiting times, in terms of all of that concern and anxiety that comes for people if they have the condition, if they have something that they need extra support with and they're told that they can't access it. And yet somebody with more money, more wealth and more uh, privilege, more advantage is able to access, access the care through this alternative paid pathway. So Again, that would be, you know, something that is very much close to my heart and, and it would be very important for us to try and move beyond the, I suppose, the societal pressure that's there around that. It really is embedded in our society. There's political will that's required in order to change that system. What's happening now is that the public system is becoming to rely on the private system. And so if we did suddenly have universal health care and everybody was in the one pot then there wouldn't be enough services in our public health. So the public service is, you know, only barely functioning as many of them are around the world, but it would be swamped if this private system was suddenly taken away. And so that's, I suppose, an equal access, but also an equitable access, even more importantly. So we know that the people who need the most care are those who are least likely to be able to access it. So what's known as the inverse care law. And we would see that Very much so in primary care. So for many years, I worked in practice, which was in a geographical area of social deprivation. And the difference in experiencing medicine and experiencing healthcare in an environment like that compared to working in an environment where people have their health insurance, they can go for an MRI scan if they have a sore knee, they can access counseling support or, you know, physiotherapy, those kinds of things. At a drop of a hat without thinking of it, compared to those people that I would have been working with in the past, who these things are just completely out of their reach. And I'm not sure that uh, everybody fully understands how that inequity affects, you know, our, 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 our neighbors, our friends, those people around us. We know that life expectancy is so different relative to your to your socioeconomic status or, you know, compared to your life experiences. And when you just think about that, that there's people in the country, some of whom are living, you know, 10, 15 years longer than another group of people, simply because of the circumstances of their of their birth or where they're living. You know, it really is. It's untenable to think about it that way. And yet it's ongoing all the time. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting to hear your response because I'm originally from Wales and we have, a, of course, a similar situation 
with the healthcare and I feel it's been going on for a very, very long time. And they are, as you said, multiple answers, really. There's multiple things that need to be done to solve the issue. And yeah, I just hope in my lifetime it might be solved because it is, it's difficult to see. Yeah. I think there are probably more and more people with that um, equitable focus and people who are considering how their uh, practice, how their um, environment in a medical professional offence is, you know, is lopsided. And, sure. I, and I do think, and now maybe it's, you know, obviously you tend to, like minds tend to flock together, uh, but I, I do feel that I'm hearing it coming up in more places now than I would have done even 10 years ago. Great. That's really, really great to hear. Well, for our listeners who have tuned in today and are inspired by your work and, and maybe want to start their own, you know, similar advocacy projects, have you got any advice that you'd give them in embarking on that journey? I don't want to infringe copyright by using a, a slogan belonging to um, an organization, but I would say just do it. Yeah. Don't think about it. Uh, because certainly if I had thought about it, I would never have done it. Now, it did help where I was at the time because I was spending a lot of time in chemotherapy wards. I was involved in a lot of um, waiting room scenarios that I would rather not be concentrating on. So that's probably it was definitely a distraction for me to go and do something completely different. But I think for all of us in our lives, we can end up going down, you know, one path and have, be very focused on one thing and have tunnel vision. And it's so lovely to spread out your brain and think, maybe I'll think about something different or maybe I'll do something completely different. And so what if it doesn't, if it doesn't work? The other thing I would say, of course, is to get help. Find the like-minded people. Find the people who are enthusiastic uh, about what you're enthusiastic about. Find out their, their skills and their specific um, areas of expertise. And, you know, ensure that you offload those things that you don't like or that you're not good at and, and find somebody who, who will help you with it. But just for that collegiality and support as well. So those would be the things I would say if you have a thought, just do it. Amazing. Excellent advice. That's great advice. I think, you know, to just do something is such great advice because as human beings, we are so good at overthinking and thinking too far down the line. And, you know, the, the further you think, the more obstacles you'll find and as you said the less likely you're going to do something so I think absolutely and uh, again you know I would recognize in myself the reason that I was able to do that at that time was that genuinely I thought well it doesn't really matter if anything I do now doesn't work out because my life expectancy is really short and you know I might not be there to see it through and nobody can blame me at the end so I realize that's not exactly the perspective that everybody in the world might have but I do like holding on to that a little bit now. I, I realize that of all the things that in the past I used to be scared of doing mm -hmm. and that I was concerned about, oh, what will happen? What will happen? And it was lovely to have that freedom to say, actually, I don't care. Actually, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and there were so few things, it turns out, that really do matter in the end. Yeah, no, I, I think to have that perspective is something that unfortunately you don't always get unless you do go through such a difficult life experience like yourself. But if you are someone who's gone through it to take that perspective away with you and then keep that then in your life can be really freeing and something yeah. that I uh, I could also benefit from that advice and I hope our listeners can as well definitely amazing well our final question also along the theme of advice but if you could give our listeners any advice beyond the textbook what would you say this one is it's a bit corny and it comes back a little bit to what we were just talking about but is something that my um, husband would have said to me at the outset of, of when my cancer was diagnosed and even before that. And it's this line about everything will be okay, even if it's not okay. 
it'll be okay. So a little bit coming back to what we just said. Everything will be fine. And, you know, it mightn't be the way that you thought it was going to be. And things do change. Life is far changing. And, you know, some people will find something like change can be intimidating or worrying. And exactly like we were talking about, maybe anxiety producing. But everything turns out fine in the end. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that's really, really excellent advice. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experiences with us today. I think it's been very inspiring and insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Amboss podcast. I'm Dr. Tanner Schrank, and that's Sophie Neal. And this has been Beyond the Textbook. The links in the description can give you a more in-depth understanding of these concepts. If you like this episode, please give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check out the Amboss platform for your medical studies and sign up for a free five-day trial at amboss.com.